Hey everyone, it's me, Lydia Shampula, and this is What You Need, When You Need It. This week we have the second episode of my conversation with Denisha Lee. I'm sure you all remember her. Let's jump right in. That's what it is. I'm like, well, there's, you know, there's a black experience. I'm like, yeah. There definitely is. There definitely is. is. And the empowerment you found through that Mm -hmm. and the community you found through that, that is the transformative power of love working. However, love is not in those spaces. If you look at, well, at least what Bell Hooks, you know, would describe as love. It's not just providing. It's not just care. It's Mm -hmm. not just, it has to encompass respect. It has to encompass, encompass everything. And there is no real field that you see a holistic practice of love or even if like it's like a theory like in the church yeah love is a theory but it may not always be practiced right because we allow shaming yes a lot of shaming a lot of shaming which is one of the reasons i actually stopped going to church i still believe in god and like all of this other stuff but because god is love i feel like the church culture is not very conducive to self-love and Mm -hmm free will and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I don't think that it really is. And, and, and when, you know, when we ask ourselves, like, why we, all these different systems don't practice their values, or mm-hmm. why do all these systems, you know, go that way, really think about it, it's because we allow a fudge zone in our life for shame. We, which yeah. is, shame is going to exist. But there's one thing for shame to exist, and there's another thing for us to allow space for it in our action. Mm-hmm. allow space for it actively like knowingly consciously yeah. allowing a space for that without it being more of an acknowledgement yeah. of the force so i tell people like the reason why like we'll see it in the church or the reason why we see it in the government or the reason why we see it in schools the reason why there's colorism within the black community mm-hmm. we get the divide and conquer but it's because we were nurtured in a society yeah that that taught us that so we're going to embody the same principles that were surrounded oh, yeah. by. We definitely perpetuate shame. Exactly, like, exactly. And it's, and that's why I'm saying if we allow space for lying, we're going to have a culture of liars. If we allow space for white supremacy or white supremacist mm-hmm. constructs, we're not going to end racism. We're not, we're not anywhere near dismantling racism mm-hmm. if we're still identifying with black. Because that was the white man's word mm-hmm. before white men were even white. That was a supremacist word to be used that's sort of like well how come there's no love or how come these images of blackness are depicted don't get mad at the way that black people are depicted in the media because black was not created for empowerment it was not it was it's not rooted in love that that word isn't rooted in that so we can't be mad at the representations like it can hurt our feelings it It can create environments but ultimately black is not an empowering word. Black was only created for polar opposite. Yeah. It was only created to perpetuate ideas. So we can yeah. change what it means or we can create this system of autonomy, you know, and feel beautiful within our blackness. Mm-hmm. But we're still saying black. We are still embracing yeah. that. And we're only conditioned to know black because it was a life or death situation. People were brought over said you're black and this is why you're gonna die. This is your because status. Now. This like this is your yeah. this is your race and like I'm not black, what's black? Like people dead ass were like yeah. I, like I get my culture, but like what is black? <laughs> like who's black? Like what's black? Like what does that mean? But then you pair that I don't know what it is mm-hmm. to just relentless conditioning and genocide yeah. and violence. That's a traumatic experience. It is. You and link you that with identity. Yeah. yeah. And you link that with identity of course, that's going to be a 
that's why it stays that way. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how Willie Lynch said you break a slave is you you shame them yep. and then they go with that. And then they don't question it because they're so stuck with the trauma yep. of that experience. And I think that although there is such a significant black experience, mm-hmm. I know there is. But it is more to, in my perspective, it is more problematic to identify as black than it is to live the black experience in America. Yeah. Biggest picture. I think that. And so I tell people like, yeah, I get black makes you have a community. It it you know your experience is shaped by it. Society's gonna treat you that way. Yeah. But look, I and that's a hateful system. I was rooted in love and vulnerability, contrary to popular belief. And look how easy that made my life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's so it's kind of like in anybody's life, you yeah. know. So it's one of those things that you know we just need to question our sources. Mm-hmm. You know, why do we attribute this to this? Mm-hmm. What is it rooted in? Is that bigger than us? Is that something that existed before all time? Because mm-hmm. if you're religious, you would not, then if you look at the timeline for when race was created, and you look at the timeline for religious beliefs, yes, clearly we were before we were a racial category. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. These systems came way later. Even identifying race through just physical characteristics and genes, that's what I mean, genes, not just the physical, because that's how slavery was skin color, but like, genes being passed down Mm -hmm. that wasn't a race being more of a matter genes wasn't evolved until the 1900s because we had apartheid Mm -hmm. so we had colonizers using uh, genetics because they realized they couldn't use blood now we didn't know that but they realized they were gonna have to like switch up how they did it because we weren't gonna be able to find it it's a lot harder to argue with genes than it is, yeah. you know, to argue with that. It's a lot more visual, because we're a visual species. Yeah. It's a lot easier to compartmentalize if we attribute it to something biologic. And especially since most slaves were not educated, actually a lot were mm-hmm. educated. So if somebody tells you something, you believe it. Yeah. And you just go with it. And plus, with that, and it's also the fact that if you, when not all black people work the same like that argument, but like when we talk about characteristics, well, if you take into account Jim Crow, that made it illegal, mm-hmm. right, to do something like that. If you take in our own physical limitations of traveling the world, mm-hmm. right, and you put in all these systems in place to make it so we're not able to mix, whatever that means, or we're not able to mix our genes, yeah. not, not race, not anything else, but we're not able to have the amount of uh, genetic variation that we would have if we just stayed the fucking, um, what is it, what is it called? What? Pangea. That's it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The one big, yeah. The okay. one big. Like, mm-hmm. if we had that space, you know, there would be way more diversity, right? Like, in how our genes look, right? But then, yeah. you know, ship, you know, play tectonics, do this thing. You know, we move around, we face our limitations. But if we didn't have systems in play, they wouldn't be able to use genes. That's why they were so serious about not mixing the two, because then they were going to have to created a whole new system they were like shit now that you know these slave masters are like raping black women Mm -hmm. now we're gonna have to put colorism as a system of oppression Mm -hmm. because it's no longer so clear it's no Mm -hmm. longer so us them it makes the ambiguousness so difficult that's why we see trans people and you don't know what to call them people get uncomfortable yeah but trans wouldn't be a thing if we didn't have and i'm not anti-trans but we would not have trans or drag or any anything like that mm-hmm. if wearing makeup wasn't a woman's 
thing. issue. Yeah. Because their representation, their performance is what makes them trans. The performance is what makes them even want to change their physical aesthetic because mm-hmm. they feel they have to conform to their bodies at that point mm-hmm. to match their soul. But their soul is being represented as woman, even if they have a penis. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how can their natural state of being is so contrary to what they see in the in the media and the messages? They're gonna mm-hmm. they're gonna feel like they were born in the wrong body, instead of saying there's something wrong with the system. Yeah. So I'm like, if you have a problem with trans, it cut gender. The system. Cut cut gender. Like if you have a problem with trans, yeah, don't put men in a box because then they wouldn't feel conflicted. And it wouldn't be a And it wouldn't be a thing. Or (laughs) it wouldn't be for drag, for men, it wouldn't be considered to be drag or this performance. It would just be men or it would just be people existing and doing their thing if it wasn't such a, this is how you present yourself as a woman. Because it's only hyper-visualization. Even when you come out, this book, Levi's Lipstick and Lesbians, and they talk about when they, when the butch femme binary came out, Mm -hmm. like in like the 60s and 70s, mainly in California, was because when they realized that they were able to have a space for queerness, mm-hmm. they said, well, how am I going to present myself in a way that lets people know, basically peacocking, like how are they gonna attract to me? Yeah. They're gonna have to do hyper-visualization. So you're either gonna have your high femmes, mm-hmm. you know, which is representative of your role also, right, in these spaces, because mm-hmm. we're still basing on heteronormative values, which is why you see the bitch yeah. binary, right, with that. And so I'm just sitting here like, if we didn't impose these ideas. If yes. we didn't say that having a penis meant you have to wear this kind of clothes and be, you didn't have to have this way. kind of mannerisms, yeah. then it would not be, it wouldn't be a category. It wouldn't be a demographic. We would have oneness. We would have diversity. We would have such a variation, you know, but we don't do that. So instead, we label it mm-hmm. because they're like, okay, well, you're going to exist in this space. We're just going to label it. You're going to find empowerment, even if you know. And like me identifying as mass, that made me feel strong for the first time because I felt like I didn't have to be femme. Yeah. No matter how hard people try to put me in that category. I was like, you know what, I'm going to maintain my masculinity. But I had to ask myself, what Why? traits am I attributing masculinity yeah. to? Ooh, dominance? Ooh. Am I that motherfucker trying to say that women are dominant? Let me not use mask anymore. <laughs> Let me use something different. Let me just be. And then motherfuckers will be confused by my fluidness yeah. you know within my gender it is very confusing because it's it's murky that's what i'm saying yeah. right but i've always that's, that's what i like though because i've always been like that murky person mm-hmm. that's like i always make people uncomfortable or they don't know even last night they were trying to one of the guys was trying to have me be he was trying to be my wingman he's like denisha <laughs> you're making it hard and i said because like, you don't look gay and i was like and i get that but like it's not about looking gay or whatever i was like I would hope that anyone that's attracted to me, yeah, regardless if I'm wearing lipstick or the not or the whatever, you know, is just attracted to me. You know, it's not about that. I've had partners like Tira who only want to be Tira did not want me to be masculine at all, mm-hmm. at all. She wanted the trophy girlfriend. Yeah, even though she is the epitome of like someone going against the norm. Yes. She still oh, was kind of. Still that. She still wanted that because we allow a space. So yeah. even saying mask and stuff, we're allowing a space for sexism within marginalized groups, accepting race as as a fact mm-hmm. or as a, a legitimate way to categorize yourself. Whether you find empowerment or not, you're you're by extension allowing a fudge zone yes. for racism and white supremacy. Well, but it's so hard not to. It's not. It is. Because it's uncomfortable. 
it's uncomfortable and it's difficult because sure. that's the first that's your first instinct because that's all you know because you're socialized that way yeah it's difficult for you to actually kind of realize that you're doing that right that's yeah. why most people they they go through their life and then they learn yeah and then they undo as like philosophers they always say like ponder so you have a normal mind yeah. you know and i appreciate that but that's why I'm so happy that those people are popping out kids like Tic Tacs. <laughs> Even though I'm sad because I'm not out there in the field enough yeah. to get these kids to know better. So I'm like seeing all these kids like doing gender reveal parties and stuff like all these. And I'm like, yeah. no, don't. Like, don't do this. Like, I There's get it. Them, I was like, I get it. But like, it's so like, are you telling your kids, the? are you instilling in your kids the values that you want society to change? If you don't want racism, are you... Aside from telling them that they're great and that racism is wrong, mm -hmm. things like that, are you really giving them the tools necessary to do that? No. And that's okay because most people don't know anything about it. They mm -hmm. only know how they would socialize and the path of resistance and things like that. Easy, cozy life. Yeah. I like that. But I'm hoping that, you know, people keep popping their kids out and that I can, like, show up. And help these kids, or even let me have a kid, uh -huh. and I will show. There's a test. Like literally, I can't wait to have a kid. Why can't? But to, like to <laughs> literally have a kid. Like oh, I want my first kids where to be like, and embraces the social contract. Oh you know, like, that's what I want their first race to be. Like dead ass. Like that would mean I would hate it. They turn out like my brother. But like, <laughs> well, why? and like, because he's like the epitome of like that, like black mask, like real men and women are like mars and venus kind of like a really yeah he's that's that way like he's he's cool guy you would think somebody that's had to like live with you all their lives would because the reject of the feminine is so tough and the fact that i'm a woman speaking uh preaching about oh, vulnerability yeah. is more normative to them of my role mm -hmm. as a woman because we already knew oh, women so if were you were doing basis. something else like if you're talking about our capabilities and all the things that we're capable of doing, then it would be more mm -hmm. acceptable. To, or right. Less but even then, than, me talking about it is something yeah. that men don't do. Because one of the things that we're talking yeah. about with with shame is if you teach boys um, to not cry, mm -hmm. you think that you're shutting off one sector. Yes. But you're not. Because that's not how the brain works. You're shutting it all down. Yeah. So if you teach, there's a difference between men and women. Yeah. And then you also tailor that to everything else that we're socializing men and women from childhood. Yeah. They're going to grow up rejecting the feminine. You know, we see that in language. Bitch, cunt, mm -hmm. pussy, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. We clearly see there's a reject of the feminine. So even women, enlightened women, like, like philosophical women teaching people, Men knew that women were capable of realizing things a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. That we, because we were, not because we're set up, we're, we're set up differently a little bit genetically, but like, or like how we're wired, but bigger picture, we've allowed socially a space for women to talk, mm -hmm. to feel, to do whatever. So that's why we mature faster. Yeah. Men are stunted. That's why they don't learn as fast. It's not because men are stupid. It's because they're stunted. Yeah, because they're not allowed to feel or show that they feel things. Right. Even if it's good or bad. They say don't cry because it's a sign of weakness. Yeah. So anytime that they feel fragile, they're so scared to do that because it's a reject. Even they if it's so contrary to how they feel. Mm -hmm. That's why men die earlier. It's not because we're set up different. It's because they end up dying of heart failure. Most men die from heart failure because mm -hmm. of the fact that shame... Mm -hmm hurts as bad as if I were to just like punch you right now 
physiologically research shows mm -hmm. that shame even if it's like verbal whatever like that emotional pain is just as significant yeah as like being in an abusive relationship i could see that you know and we're in a national like a global abusive, abusive relationship, relationship. <laughs> you know and so for my brother i'm very much the opposite of him and that he didn't like that like he wasn't good in school mm -hmm. and me being good at school was a problem for him because it reminded him of his own shame mm -hmm. that he put that on me because that's what you're kind of taught to do is you just put that on somebody else true you know and things like that so you know so i wish that i wasn't like a woman because then it would be not seen as a natural progression of thought yeah you know for women to be like oh i deserve my feelings or i deserve this yeah. or whatever but it really made me you know it made me look at men differently in a healthier aspect yeah you know and not be so i was like, never oh, anti-men not really your fault yeah man. literally i'm like damn masculinity is a, a force like it's a force yeah. you know and I, and I feel for it you know and i and i Get it, because as much as I live my life through my womanness, mm -hmm. you know, and from what I've been socialized to understand as a woman, the way I carry yeah. myself, the way I look, every little thing, it goes the exact same way. Actually, yeah. And men have that. the most potential for growth because of it. They have the most potential. We think women are these majestic creatures, and they are, right? Because we, we can give are. life, right? Because yeah. we can give life and yeah. all this. But imagine if men, mm -hmm. let's say before, like let's say you know when when they started making that difference and like what was really allowed you know these like normative values mm -hmm. if men were taught to embrace vulnerability and shame yes what how powerful would they be because there must be a reason why we're so adamant on stunting them and it's not just to keep them hard there must be a, a, a real reason. reason why we are emotionally limiting and no. psychologically limiting men and i think it's because they have this untapped power okay, source yeah. and contribution to the transformative power of love that we don't know. Ooh, I'm just thinking of the consequences or like the, the benefits because children would be that much more stable and in themselves, basically. Right. Yeah, if they have two parents that are just like solid. But allow that yeah, space. Yeah, like, like they can feel, they can teach you how to feel and all of those other things. Because mm -hmm. I have a cousin, like, I don't know if you've ever seen like my snaps when I'm like with low, low kids. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're like my little cousins, like my dad's family friends and stuff. And mm -hmm. Love them to death. And the parents are always getting on me because they, they'll ask me questions. Yeah. Like, why aren't you, why don't you have kids and all that kind of stuff? And like, they don't want me to answer any questions mm -hmm. at all. And I get that because they're kids and it's whatever. But then, um, well. Like, first of all, I'm in my 20s. <laughs> really though, I know. And she's yeah. like, she's like, how old are you? guys? like 23. She's like, why aren't you a mom yet? And I'm like, whoa, like, let's talk about it. But um, they're like, no, maybe she let's not talk about it. Yeah. But uh, my uncle Rel was telling Justin, who's six, smart kid, great, he's phenomenal. And he was, my dad wanted to give him a hug, and I was like, we don't hug, we give dad. What? And I said, imagine if boys were taught to love the feeling of, of intimacy yeah, of somebody else and learning to give and receive love, that the reciprocity that comes yep. with that. Mm -hmm. Men know how to receive it. It's still limited, though. They know to receive it. They know that they're kind of entitled to that. Yeah. You know? But, you know, which is why we see, like, that men and women is, like, the typical nuclear setup. Yeah. Not just for survival, for evolutionary purposes, but, like, for this, you know, supplementing each other's needs. Yeah. You know, kind of a thing. 
but or emotional needs but even my dad because my dad's my dad's pretty deep and he was like why would you teach your son right now mm-hmm. and he can't like i was like imagine how how strong of a man you would have as yeah. a son if you allowed him to hug men that he cared about yeah if he was able to feel an embrace and not go his whole life really not ever touching that somebody yeah like imagine like if you i didn't hug anyone until i got to college so i was the first one to really be like eh, like everyone thought i was standoffish because i didn't know how to embrace i didn't mm-hmm. know how to give and receive love yeah if we teach little boys to give and receive love and nurture them different yeah. even though it'd be very difficult for them to be around other boys are those the kind of boys not speaking to that character but is that the 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 vibe? Is that the energy that you want? You want your son to be around? Yeah. Because we're all it's all a matter of energy. It's all about frequencies. Do you want that frequency around them? You know what I'm saying? Do you want that kind of shameful energy yeah. around kids who are the most in touch with how to be the human. power of their yeah. humanness? Yeah. You know, so I'm like, why not nurture them that way? Because kids don't learn how to hate people. Well, they don't know how to hate people mm-hmm. until somebody teaches them. Right, and people That's... don't know what they're saying around newborns. They think that yeah. you just have to be mindful when they're toddlers. No, but I was like, they, they just, I'm like, they just got popped out the womb. <laughs> their their whole life right now is about finding out what the fuck is going oh, on. Yeah. They may not know the language that you're using, but it's not about the language because we see it doesn't matter if it's English. Spanish or anything. It's not about the language. It's not about the words as much as the energy behind Definitely. the words and the power behind the words. Yeah. So you're walking around talking on the phone with your newborn, calling someone a bitch. You don't think that that little kid <sighs> is picking up on that, or you don't think. But but they they pick it up. Mm-hmm. That's why you see kids trying to learn how to talk because yeah. they've been hearing you talk for so long that they're like, I gotta make a noise. I gotta, I gotta do yeah. this. Or I'm going to walk. that's acceptable. Because that's all, how they communicate. Mm-hmm. So I should do that. Yeah. And we're just like, well, that's how it is. And I just think that, you know, it's, it's a lot, you know, for people to do. But it, it can be done. You know, it's possible. You know, I think it's possible for us to start really decolonizing our minds. And really, we need a new enlightenment era. And I don't know too many people that are really... Willing to or ready willing to? Willing to die for it. My friend's like, Denisha, are you willing to lose your life for what you're saying? Because what you're saying is threatening every Everything. major system at play. And I said, the thing is, since I feel the light in me and mm-hmm. I feel the power of love within myself, even if this physical form is gone, yeah. I, be- I have such faith in that power yeah. that it will not just be cut because I'm gone. It won't. So how do you feel about... Um Social media and how people are protesting. I that's why I don't like the Black Lives Matter movement because yeah. how reactionary everything is. I think that visibility. I get why it's a strong suit with how we navigate through our social world, and I yeah. get the feeling of connectedness. But you can research um, connection, and you'll know that you need a complex environment to yeah. be able to establish a genuine connection. And technology isn't a complex environment. It's a complex system, definitely. But it's not the complex environment necessary. You need face-to-face. We all know that. You need face-to-face to really have that. Definitely, yeah. So I think, that, I think that social media is the perfect way for the higher-up people to say we're going to allow them a space to vent yeah. and to hate us. 
and to, but, not to really doing but it's really not doing much. It's visible. Yeah. It it does impact things. Like Trump got elected, not elected, but he got elected. But he was only seen as a powerful force within the Republican Party because he got all these votes. Yes. But it wasn't because of what he was saying. It was because of the fact that he was blown up on social media. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so I feel non-space is such a, and I'm like not physical space, non-space is like technology and all that. Yeah. I think non-space is slowing us down in ways that we're not willing to admit. I think that we see it as a way for us to get connected to the world, Yeah. which is beautiful. But I think that we were doing fine before. Before that, I think that we were able to get connected without that. That people, if you talk to older couples, mm-hmm. they were able to have long, loving relationships yes. without that. That Definitely. when you had a long distance relationship, you had to have faith and love yeah. to do it. Even if that meant you were going to be uncomfortable because you can't talk to them, you don't know what's going on, you're not around them. You got to deal with things on your own. You got to deal with it. And then when they come back, you that is that's your affirmation. Mm-hmm. That's your like, it did work out. I was worrying, and it wasn't for nothing. It was a testament to, you know, the journey. Yeah. I think that I'm weaning off of social media now, or I use it to use my messages, Mm -hmm. you know, and to share, like, little things. But even with doing that, Mm -hmm. I'm allowing a space for for Apple to to have sweatshops, (laughs) you know, to have sweatshops. Definitely, yeah. Paying the top 1%, you know, basically the invisible folk their pockets so even when i post i'm like man i love that my message can reach the masses yeah but messages were able to reach the masses before mm-hmm. technology by so. talking and connecting mm-hmm. with actual human beings i think we're just too reactionary i think it's really i think that we need to understand that like trump we can all say trump's not a president fuck trump i hate trump he but is. he's still the president he is yeah. so all they're seeing because he's not the first racist sexist president he's just the first, like the outward yeah. In, in our lifetime, he's the first outwardly problematic president. But other ones had slaves. Yeah. That's that's pretty over that's racist, true. right? And so I think that we need to see that we are that we are just showing them how much how how distracted we are. Or how Extremely we can blow or how yeah. we can blow up about something yeah. and protest and hit the streets and do all that kind of stuff yeah. and react strongly. But at the end of the day, all we are doing is reacting. Yeah. No, and and they've already seen that they can get over that. Yeah. The other day, uh, my sister, after the election, we were talking on the phone, and she's like, there is a protest in downtown Oakland, and I'm not going because I know that bodily harm could actually happen. And I was like, yeah, but you could like we could post something on Instagram or like Facebook or Twitter, and that's... That's okay. That's as much as we're willing to do. Right. We're yeah. able to be a part. Because we, like I said, we all long for connection. So yeah. we all want to show that we're connected. We all, like I see, we'll, we'll be on the bus. When I'm on the bus, I'll listen to music. Um, but I'll watch people on their phones. And they're on yeah. Facebook. And why are you on Facebook? To get connected to people. There's somebody right next to you. But they're they're right there. Yeah. So it's like we're sitting here <laughs> digging through a system yeah. and being reminded of the fact that we may not be worthy of connection all the time because no one's messaging us. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I hated going on social media um, for a long time because I always wanted friends. Yeah. I always wanted people that not just were cool with me but actually wanted to hang out with me yeah. and be around me or talk to me or something like that or you know me say something and people – 
respond talk yeah. you know and not just be like oh there's anisha saying what she's saying even though we agree with her or don't agree with her we're just gonna let her do her thing yeah not realizing that if everyone's doing it surprise turn our effect and i'm kind of left by myself mm-hmm. you know i think that if we realize that facebook and instagram although it is a way for us to get connected it's a way bigger reminder to a lot of people of their own insecurities mm-hmm. and their own shame and their mm-hmm. own like hey i posted this how come i don't get likes it's because we're narcissists Brene Brown looked at narcissism through the lens of vulnerability, realizing it's our fear of being ordinary. Mm-hmm. It's not a problem to be narcissistic because we're so... It, I get why it would be a problem to be narcissistic, Yeah, but it's it's actually a, rooted in shame. Narcissism is rooted in shame. Mm-hmm. We don't think that because we're so shallow level looking at the narcissism Yeah, without looking at it through the lens of vulnerability, saying they are just so desperate to not be ordinary that they're going to be as extraordinary as their mind will allow them to think that they are, you know? And so I think that if people realize how much it can remind you, I mean, like, I hate looking at Instagram sometimes because I don't post pictures of of myself anymore like I used to, but I also don't really post pictures with friends. I don't really take pictures with friends. I did for Vegas because they were there. Um, but, and you know, people won't believe me, but I went if I don't. <laughs> it's but, like, um, do you really have a life? That's the thing. I also <laughs> don't need to always take pictures when I'm out. Like, I just want to yeah. be there, you know? And enjoy and, the moment. And, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, but for me, I was like, dang. It was, for me, I was happy that everyone had their friends, but I was like, damn, mm-hmm. am I not worthy? Because I don't have people saying, Denisha, let's take pictures together. Mm-hmm. Denisha, I want to document that we're friends and show the world. Yeah. It may not be that at the conscious level. Right, it's not intentional. Yeah, but you're reminded of your insecurities, and I think it's in a way that's more <coughs> destructive than constructive. Because it would be, even though you could see your room for growth. Yeah. Through social media, right? Like I knew that I had to work on my confidence from being on social media. Mm-hmm. At the same time, that realization was in way more of a destructive space than it would be for me to be reaffirmed that I'm worthy of connection. For putting my phone down and randomly talking to someone that I don't know. And you learn so much too. And and being in that space and yeah. feeling that energy and feeling feeling that and seeing your oneness. Mm-hmm. You know, feeling that connection that's bigger than yourself. Like how do I not know you and we just vibe and we just even if you didn't vibe, mm-hmm. that person now you coexist in that moment. That is a powerful force. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm trying to wean off of it. And everyone's like, well, if you're, you know, if you believe the things that you do, why are you just not on anything? Because I was nurtured in the way that I was. Mm-hmm. I was socialized in the way that I was. It's still difficult to lean into the discomfort. I'm allowing myself space to decompress. I'm allowing myself space to get to where I want to be mm-hmm. by having faith in the big picture goals and slowly start attributing that into my life. You know, and, and yeah. slowly start taking things out of my life. Slowly start weaning off yes. of certain things. Kind of. I heard this podcast where the guy was like, you have to be conscious of the things that you let into your mind. Because at the end of the day, they will affect your subconscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you all you're getting from social media is negativity and like all of the bad things that are going on in the world, that's going to reflect mm-hmm. itself in your own life. Definitely. And that's yeah. why when people... Because I, I was always very honest about saying I care what people thought. Yeah. And everyone thought that was a sign of weakness. And I, I don't blame them. As much as I hated those people, 
I got that. Mm -hmm. Because socially, it is seen as weakness to look for validation. Even though validation and then reciprocity is a very key part mm -hmm. in forming healthy connections and healthy bonds and self-worth even. You can't really achieve self-worth without community. Yeah. Because we know community from the day we're born. You see like five people in your face as soon as you pop out, whether you know it or not. Yep. And I told people, when they say they don't care about what people think, I, I was trying to communicate to them, and it wasn't until I learned about, you know, learned how to communicate conscious versus subconscious, mm -hmm. was at your conscious level, you may not care what people think, but your brain is so powerful that it does get into your subconscious. That's why teaching kids sticks and stones, that yeah. phrase, they break <laughs> is really problematic because you're dismissing the power of language seeping into your subconscious because we only think it's physical that's the only thing that can hurt you yeah. and if you say that the words are still coming into your head you still hear them yeah. but on the conscious level you're like well it doesn't matter but your subconscious is like bitch you thought it didn't matter <laughs> but i'm gonna i'm but gonna expose does. i'm gonna expose how much it does matter yeah. by low feelings of self-worth oh yeah like that. The words are insidious like that's they, what i'm saying they're like, at the root of so many things that's i think that that saying really primed because i heard that my whole life that saying really primes us to desensitize ourselves to the discomfort of shame within language. Yeah. I think it allowed us space to not think about the ramifications that come from using that. And we underestimate the power of our brain. Yet we know it's so powerful. Yeah. We bank on it, right? Because of all these things that you need to have through thinking about it, you mm -hmm. know, like, they know the mind is powerful. They're like, look how great humans are. We have drones and we have all kinds of stuff. Okay, so if you know the mind is freaking powerful as shit and you know that we only access a little bit of it. Yeah. Comparison to the whole thing. Why would you want to tell people that it only matters what's on your conscious level of being or that something's not going to get, like you hear something, you can't unspeak words. Yeah. So you know it's seeped into your head. But you just don't see it in your day to day. Like you don't see how it affects you. But it does. Over it. just, That's how my yeah. sister passed away. Mm -hmm. Is because she was told that she would die if she did not take care of her diabetes. Yeah. And every day she didn't take care of her diabetes, she woke up the next day. And she uh, felt yeah. invincible. Good. And and she and she thought that. So her body was taking the hit. Yeah. But her brain was literally, or her consciousness was saying, I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah. I woke up. What are they talking about? Yeah. Oh, like, there. I get that. They're saying that. But it's not here until it hit her. Mm -hmm. And then that's when it was stage three kidney failure and infection in your blood yeah. and your bones. And everything that was going on with her was a testament to the fact that she felt invincible because she was living off of only the level of consciousness mm -hmm. that she had, which I don't blame her because she had a life of misfortune. Yeah. So I know shame and self-worth and all that were playing into a part of that. But that idea of out of sight, out of mind, mm -hmm. I had no immediate ramifications. Like with lying, mm -hmm. you don't get caught right away. You're fine, but if low key, you're scared that that's just gonna come back up. Yeah, and that's like when it does down the road. That. You're like, and even if you know you're living with it, mm -hmm. and a month goes by, a year goes by, you kind of forget about it. Yeah, you know how much your your brain will allow you to forget about it. But as soon as that comes back up, you will be way more of a sack of nerves at that point than you would have confronting at that point because mm -hmm. your subconscious had festered 
and literally was training your body to to know that you did something outside of your comfort zone. You did something outside of your nature. Yeah. Even though deception is a very natural thing, we see that in nature with camouflage and things like that. Yeah. That's more survival. We are not doing anything right now. The bad decisions we are making are not, except from like situational things, we're really not doing it as a matter of survival like it was in slavery. Mm-hmm. When we had to desensitize ourselves because the weak were going to get killed first. Yeah. It's not like animals that if you don't learn how to camouflage yourself, you're going to be picked. Yeah. You know, we're doing it because we want to live comfortably. Mm-hmm. You know, we're doing it because we want ease or we're doing it because we want friends. We're not doing it because we are going to die. We're doing it because we don't know how to live without live it without, <laughs> without acceptance and all of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm like. Let's just see what DC has to say. I think that's an there. exciting adventure for you. I'm hoping. Yeah, it's going to be good. I think it'll be a good space for me, especially, you know, and you know, embracing myself and learning about myself. Like once I started studying philosophy, I was like, "Hey, I'm like a philosopher in my own head. Like that's how my brain thinks." Mm-hmm. And then once I found that space, like I did my CS classes, I was like, "Wow, me." That's why I don't let people tell me I overthink anymore because everyone used to, yeah. and that made me hate myself because I was a room that was like where people were trying to shame me, say, "Oh, you overthink. You make things into a big deal." Yeah. Instead of seeing that I was actually more of a natural researcher. And a philosopher, mm-hmm. but I limited myself. So it wasn't until I'm 23 years old, six months ago, that I started thinking that I actually had something to say. That I wasn't just someone that ever thought something. I didn't yeah. see that I was, I knew I was good in school, but I didn't feel smart. I didn't feel that my brain was beautiful. I didn't see the power in my thought process. But you know so much, like half of the stuff you talk about, I'm just like, wow, I've never actually thought of those things. Yeah, I don't make that connection. I've never to think about those things, yeah. Yeah, and that's why it's like, now people are like, oh, you overthink. I'm like, don't say that because yeah. you're actually hindering people that could be philosophically inclined or hindering natural researchers. Yeah. You know, I, people were like, oh, you talk too much. And I was like, yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> I've always been that way. Well, I didn't talk till I was seven, but then after that, it was all downhill. Um, but for me, I've realized with certain things, I was talking like essay format, like my brain yeah. would work there. Like I would have a thought and I would have all this stuff. So when I'm reading Bell Hooks mm-hmm. or Brene Brown and they're writing the way that I think mm-hmm. and my self-talk, like, I was yes. like, wow, everyone that made me hate myself, yep. literally these people are embodying that and it's yeah. celebrated. And that's when I was like, you know what? I want to move to DC because I want to give myself a shot because... The things that I know has only because it has only stemmed from me hating myself mm-hmm. and love making me love myself. Now that I think I have something to say, yeah, I want it like this is when I'm finally like blossoming. Like this is when yeah. I'm finally gonna be like embracing who I am and seeing like what that attracts, like mm-hmm. what frequencies that attracts from living authentically. Quality, you know, like who's gonna be around, what am I gonna learn, what opportunities. I only care about the ones that are coming for me being authentic, you know, and present itself with, to me within these past six months. Because even though I've been myself, yeah, I'm more wholehearted. I embrace no. wholeheartedness now. Like, I, I see, I'm still myself. This whole journey made me realize I'm still that talkative person from when I was a child. I'm still that vulnerable person from when I was a child. Yeah. The whole looking in retrospect and looking at my life and trying to change it and all that, my enlightenment literally just brought me back to my natural state that I was trying to fight from day one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, as a child, yeah. So was the discomfort of fitting in 
worth it. Bigger or more important than discomfort of living authentically. I wish I knew back then the what power you know, yeah. of leaning into the vulnerability of even if people don't like you, mm-hmm. you are, I am only speaking love. It would be different if I was spewing hate and shame and things like that. But people can't make me feel bad right now. I mean, they can because I'm like a wuss to that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, now that I, I see the, the value in what I'm saying, and I realize all I'm trying to communicate to people, all I'm yeah. trying to do is bring love to yeah, the world. You're not, you're all I'm trying to do is bring vulnerability you're out not there. Being evil. Yeah, I yeah. trust that. Like I trust that. Like I was like, it'd be different if everyone was hating me because I was just like some lion person and I was just like a terrible friend and all this. But if people aren't gonna like me because I'm trying to spread love, yeah, that's the kind of dislike I want in my life. Because those are the challenges to your conviction that you need to be facing. Yeah, you know, I can't have love without shame. So I can't be a light without people trying to keep me in the dark. You just have to be willing to have faith in in the light, you know? So I'm like, oh, now they, they thought I was bad before. Now they're stuck with a whole <laughs> Ten times a whole different version because now I, fought, I find vulnerability is great. I like it. I'm going to try it in my life. You should. You can always tell me, Abdinesha, how do I do that? I will, yeah. Should really? Do that. That's what I want to do for people is like just kind of help them and I'm no help when I'm so big picture yeah but I'm helpful because I allow the space I'm like that's okay you're uncomfortable I'm sorry to hear that but <laughs> but be uncomfortable like no one's like I don't yeah. want to be uncomfortable be uncomfortable it's okay it's okay yeah. like it's fine dang I like it there you go see um what other questions do I have oh I usually like asking the people on my podcast what does your self-care routine look like I don't have that in my life. Uh-huh. Yeah, I never learned how to do that because I internalized that I wasn't worth anything yeah. for so long that I don't self-care. Like, the, the self-care that I do is with within my research and with me, and not, like, in the research and, like, the stuffy sense of the term, but, like, in my readings and yeah. in my works. That self-love for me because it's allowing myself space to be my authentic self. Mm-hmm. But aside from like that, affirming that you know I'm on a I'm on a decent path. Yeah. I I really still am like my biggest problem. Just trying to figure that out. Yeah, I um, still I still okay. don't take. I still would not say I take care of myself well at all. Like I'm very last very fortunate yeah. to have a strong thought process considering I still battle with anorexia mm-hmm. and I'm not nourishing my body even remotely to where you're supposed to. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, And I know no, none of us are, but I'm like less than a meal a day kind of a person. Ooh. Yeah. I'm that person. That's why I'm very lucky yeah. to, to at least to present myself the way that I can because I don't look sickly or nothing like that yeah um but i haven't really taken care of myself in that space i've never really learned how to but you're working on self-love i'm working on it through finding the beauty in who i am yeah and then hoping that translates to me wanting to take better care of myself okay you know because i want to be around and spread the stuff I just don't know how to take care of myself yeah I don't know how to give and receive love just yet it's a journey mm-hmm. yeah work on it 
Okay. And then lastly, what is one song that you can't get out of your mind or that you're just currently obsessed with? Ooh, can I look at my iPod on that? Yeah. Because I have like a lot of songs <laughs> in my head, but I'll tell you. Okay. Oh, that's awkward. I'm going to talk about that right now. I, I, yeah, I'm not talking about it. Okay. Um, okay. So a song that actually... Um, on Oprah's Super Soul Sessions, mm-hmm. India Ari gave a lecture oh. about self-love and vulnerability yeah. and authenticity. And she has a song called I Am Light. Mm-hmm. I know that one, yeah. That song really, she's always been like my spirit animal. Yep. But that, her message and then that song really helped me see and forgive myself for what my family's done, like she says, you know, mm-hmm. for everything that makes me who I am, technically, yeah. wasn't who I was. It was what my family did. It was what I look like. It was how society perceived me. It mm-hmm. was it was me being so caught up and feeling like I was broken, you know, and yeah. me only identifying with it, my broken self. That her song like really, I was like you're like, right for me. I was like, you're so right, India. Like you, you tell me about myself, all you want. So that song definitely gives me a lot of power, and I probably sing it, yeah, like three times a day. Ooh. And I don't really sing anymore. What? But you're so good. Thanks. I'm better yeah. now than what? I was, but I, I still don't into sing as much. Yeah. That's not, they're trying to get me out. Like they're trying to have me photo shoots, open mic night, yes. Because I've been working it. on some poems. Yeah. So they're like, get back into poetry, get back into all of this, and I'm like, okay. I gotta. <laughs> it's just that creative space. I feel like creativity mm-hmm. is such a strong force. Yeah. That I feel like it's an expression of self love to allow yourself creative liberty. Yeah. To find the beauty in what you're doing, you have to kind of have the faith in what you're doing and you know mm-hmm. that this is what you're doing and I cut all that creative stuff when depression really hit well, I cut yeah, out yeah. singing and you know that happened to lose interest and mm-hmm. things like that but I feel like if I were to sing that's doing something nice for myself and that why would I be doing that good. something nice for other people too yeah you know yeah. ish it is yeah I just I think for me i since I don't see it within myself I was looking at other people, not to validate that I'm good or bad or whatever, mm-hmm. but more of that I was like hurt or I was seen or that it was that people saw like, oh, didn't, that's her field. Like, that's what she likes to do. Like, yeah. I've never had you know, like, Denisha's the one that you go to about mm-hmm. race or she's the one that you go to about this. It wasn't, it was like, you know, get a sense of like, I was valid. Mm-hmm. You know, I was validated in my work from people wanting to be in my space yeah. and talk about it. And I don't really I don't really have people in my life that are like, Denisha, I want to hear you talk, I want to hear you sing, I want to hear what you think about or anything like that. You know, what you draw, what you paint, your photos, your poems. What? Yeah, I do a lot. And people are they don't they don't want the, that in their space. So yeah. like people don't want me in their space too often because I am such a force. Yeah. That it like killed that a little bit, but I got a bunch of people out there that are really excited for me to be out in yeah. DC and that are like, Denisha, you think like no one I know and you gotta get out here. And I'm like, maybe I'll make your you mark know, on the world. Maybe I'll just start giving myself some love and all that, you know, because 
because I'm able to think what I do and you know feel wholehearted and I don't even really care for myself too much that I can only imagine what it would be like if I nourished myself oh yeah and practice self-care mm-hmm. you know my friends like Denisha don't talk to me about spirituality until you like take care of your body it's mind body and soul so he's like yes. I don't want to hear you he's like Denisha I don't want he's like you're so he's like you're good He's like, I don't want to hear you until you start taking care of your body. Yeah. Because then then you'll be on a new level of something. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, okay. He's like, not saying you're not speaking, but talk to me when you when you get to that level. When you get all of that. So You're good. Yeah, I'm open. You know, I'm trying. You know, branch out of my comfort zone more as an yeah. act of self love. Even if it's torture to go through that process. Yeah. That's self love or self care ish people don't read discomfort as self-care but i do i think that's i think i might start calling it that as well or thinking of it that way at least try yeah what's the worst that's gonna happen you're in an uncomfortable situation you could choose to go the other way that is true i've been trying like i consciously decide not to be on my phone when i'm in a room with other people and i feel uncomfortable like i can't speak to them i i tried to put down my phone to not like numb yourself yeah with with pretending that i'm on instagram or facebook or whatever or texting right just, right yeah like i escape yeah mm-hmm. you know yeah because what are we running why are we running from it yeah seriously even like one of the things on i watched a documentary on the war on drugs and the whole progression mm-hmm. but this guy made up a really good point and it stuck with me and he was like we're so adamant on fighting the war on drugs but why do people use drugs Aside from what we know about, you know, drugs and what the war on drugs is really doing. Yeah. Ultimately, why are people doing it? It's to numb themselves. Yeah. Even music. Although it makes us feel good, music is a way to numb ourselves. Yeah. To soothe, but to numb as well because mm-hmm. you're in a different space. Yeah. You can kind of get out of where you're at and be in a new space and embrace that, right? Um, and I realized, I was like, we should be having a war on pain. We should be addressing why yes. are people needing to do this yeah. and how do we get it instead of just punishing them for trying to escape. Yeah. We don't know. That's why I say why we're so dangerous as a species is because we don't know how to be afraid. We don't know how to be sad. We don't know how to be uncomfortable. We, we know that we have feelings and that that makes us human. We, we know it, mm-hmm. but... But literally, it's like that that fudge factor is allowing us to know mm-hmm. and still not act. Yeah. Just like when they started making race as a category, they even said in the books, like, people know there's a general, you know, commonality, mm-hmm. that there's an essential commonality amongst all humans. And even though we all know there's an essential commonality, yeah. and that's implied, we're still operating on this subculture. You know, so it's kind of like, when when are we gonna start going off of the subculture and start going off of the fact that we are essentially, you know, there's a, this commonality between us that we're all humans. Yeah. You know that we're all one. You know, we need to start thinking about. Oh well, it's implied. No, it's not. Just like Family Guy, I get they're playing a joke on them, <laughs> but what that's really doing for people that aren't media literate. Yeah. Is reinforcing that, or they're seeing, hey. We are allowing a space for people to, to say that mm-hmm. on the TV, to the daily, yeah. all day, to the masses. That shows how much space we allow for that behavior. Instead of saying, if racism is wrong, 
let's not allow racist representations on the TV. Yes. You know, if sexism is wrong, let's not bank off of shows that mock it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because people don't see that as mocking. You know what I'm saying? But they do, but they're so caught up in the fact that it's funny. Yep. Or that yeah, everyone thinks you laugh, that. then it's it's not threatening. Right. Yeah. But then we have to ask, why are we laughing? Like with sitcoms, that's why I said yeah. in sitcoms, because yeah. sitcoms, situational comedies, mm-hmm. literally is like, everyone thinks this is funny, mm-hmm. and that's why. But it's not. They're not represented off of how we are and trying to mock what we do. Yeah. They're creating a normalized space. So even if you don't, like, I don't really have the biggest sense of humor. I do, but I don't. And so when I watch these shows, I may not laugh. Mm-hmm. But when you hear the audience laughing and it's supposed to be funny and the show's really popular, you start saying, hey, maybe there's, like, some, some normative value to this. Like, maybe this is a norm. Maybe mm-hmm. this is what people are saying. Or maybe this is a situation that people are in all the time. And, yeah. and I should think it's funny. You know, when you start reevaluating your own self to match up with that, mm-hmm. you can force spaces through TV shows Definitely, and yeah. things like that. So I'm like, unless we're teaching media literacy from kindergarten on or preschool on, we should not be having shows like that on the internet or on the TV. Unless we're teaching media literacy, we cannot just write and just, you know, take full advantage of the First Amendment. Oh, that would be a great degree. I'm just thinking of all the classes we could take. Media literacy? Yes. There's a lot of like, but it's a lot in the media literacy that you need for American Mm -hmm. TV would be... Ethnic studies. Yeah. It would be like women's studies. Take one of those classes and they'll say, You ruined film for me. You ruined movies for me. Yep. You ruined this. And I'm like, Good. Because those movies you shouldn't be all lightheartedly enjoying. Yeah. You know? It's like, it's not ruining it. It's bringing light. It's holding the mirror to your face. Mm-hmm. You know? We're laugh. That's why I like, I wouldn't laugh at racist jokes and everyone would be like, like, Oh, Nisha, it's just a joke. And I was like, I don't think racism is funny. If I don't think racism is funny, I'm not going to laugh along yeah. at a racist joke. Just to make you feel better. Just to just to perpetuate the fact that it's a problem, but not a problem enough for it to not be joked about. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. like, we don't care as much. We're constantly desensitizing ourselves to it by... That is the world today. By allowing it. Yeah. And I'm that sensitive person that's there to say, hey guys... It's a little problematic. Can we talk about it? Is this really okay to laugh at? They're like, like, oh, Denisha. And they're like, why are you doing this? And I'm like, for you. Like, I'm doing it for you. Like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it so, you know, people don't internalize that. I'm doing it so I'm I'm helping their subconscious. Yeah. You know, because. Because mm-hmm, them laughing is teaching their subconscious something. Mm-hmm. It's like seeing these messages, saying it's funny, and your brain is going to adapt to the way that you are responding to yeah. these messages. Even it's if a reward you system. force it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, okay. So I'm like, the moral compass is my way to pull your subconscious back up to the front and say, hey, I know you're trying to chill someone on the back burner. Let's talk about it. Yes. You know, maybe let's talk about it on a conscious level mm-hmm. and then that will bring it back to your subconscious and manifest in a much better way you know they don't like a moral compass that's fine you don't like the mirror being held up to you maybe you shouldn't be doing things that you don't want to have put in your face that is true but it's it's much easier to just not think about it it's easier but it's harder because it, it makes, your life, it makes yeah. your life shitty it does you know because 
we're gonna yeah. feel like we're not enough ever. We're gonna yeah. feel like we don't matter. We're gonna, you know, have regrets. We're gonna wish we didn't do things that we told somebody something and we did these kind of things, which is natural. Yeah. You know, but, you know, because we all long for more and we all want more and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, it, we need to get out of the comfort zone. I agree. You know, because if Angela Davis, you know, she's saying give it to the president industrial complex, mm-hmm. great. Now, let's say we do that, that's going to not only take time, right, mm-hmm. but it's going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. Yes. Now. Reintegrating, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so I'm saying if we don't teach people about vulnerability and shame mm-hmm. and look at the prison industrial complex through that lens. Yeah. And our reactions through the lens of vulnerability and shame. Our own reactions to things, not through our own experiences, mm-hmm. but just solely through the lens of vulnerability. Yeah. And the lens of shame. Not your experience with it or anything like that. We can't expect the abolishment of the criminal justice system or the criminal justice system and the prison industrial complex if we are not willing to lean into the discomfort of wholehearted change. We want things to be different. You want to change the constitution? By all means, it's going to take you a long time to do so. Mm-hmm. It's going to have a lot of kickback. Is it worth it? You know yes. what I'm saying? You, you, you've got to ask. Like I even hate talking sometimes. I get we're social people, but I hate talking because I hear it in my language. Shame. Normativity. Because like, there's well, no other way at the moment to at the moment we don't know it. Other people, yeah. Mm-hmm. And instead of as a as a unit with how powerful we are and how collective we can be, mm-hmm. even a small demographic, if we were to really collect, yeah, and say, you know what, we don't know what to do because most people when they hear me talk, they say about vulnerability and shame, they're like, okay, well, what are you gonna do about this? Oh, what's your answer to this? And I'm like. Why would I have the answers? Like, why yeah. people are expecting me to have a solution? To have the, the solution yeah. too. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, it's it's not about having a solution. It's about embracing the journey and trusting that what's rooted, where your journey is rooted from, yeah. those intentions are are gonna manifest itself in time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like just have faith in that process. They don't. And it's scary and I get it, but it's like you can literally break, you can destroy a company. It would just take years to do yeah. so. You can, we could literally go into a school and like try to buy the school and like take back the school. It would, we'd have people in these boring meetings and we have to do all of this legal stuff. And they do all of that because it's so possible yes. to take over the school. They just want to make it so you want to go back to your cozy life and pretend, of not yeah. doing that. <laughs> Don't put in the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like we could change, we could root or re, you know, uproot what we're rooting the government in, mm-hmm. change it up, and put in a lot of effort. That's going to require people to know the skills yeah. of to know how to handle vulnerability. And the only skills that I can teach people to embrace vulnerability and shame yeah. is to understand what they are, what vulnerability is, and what shame is know it well enough to be able to look at a situation mm-hmm. through that lens and not even in like an academic sense yeah but like what does this mean how is this related to disconnect like disconnecting from from love or how is this related to you know love like how is this rooted in love or how is this rooted in, in shame and realize that sometimes i'm just like you know to be sure like 
I'm that person that gets nervous in the car before I go out because yeah. I've got a lot of space for that. Instead of internalizing that as, you know, I'm a loser or I'm just awkward or I'm this, mm-hmm. just say, you know what, That's a, it is okay for me to do this because society has made it so I will feel like I'm not enough to be a good time. Yeah. Society has made me feel that level of discomfort. That's not because the force is that strong or is that like problematic or whatever. It's really because society made it so difficult for you to get out of how you've been conditioned mm-hmm. for a reason. Discomfort is that, you know, I'm just like, people need to. There's all in any woke people in the house. You know, there's, there's people that aren't really, they think they're woke, but they're not. <laughs> I've seen a lot of, yeah. But they're not, you know, and they're woke in some regards, but they're really. But at least they're trying. I'm happy about yeah. it, but like I said, they got a little room for growth. A little room for growth, and so do I. But I have certain skills yeah. down that, you know, the people that have what I don't need to need to learn. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Oh my I god, that was two hours. Oh, awkward. <laughs> Wait, crazy. that was recording me this whole time? Yes. Oh, yeah. that was tricky. No. Oh my god. I no, you're fine. Me. I don't care. Oh. But now you're stuck with it and you're going to have to work with it. I like all of that, so you're good. There um, you go. I know you have something to do. I do. I don't know what time it is. Eight. So oh. do you want to say bye to the audience? Oh. Do you want to say anything? Do you want them to follow you? Anything? Or are you good? I, uh, I would say look out for what I have coming within this past year, you know, that there's going to be some new material mm-hmm. that we're not ready for, yeah. but we're in need of, so look out, mm-hmm. listen to Lydia, <laughs> and what do you have to say, Yeah, you know, great. and just share the light, really. That's really it. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. You got it, Lydia. That was awesome. Yay. Yay. There you go. Okay, so it looks like that's all I have for you this week, but make sure that you tune in every Friday, same time, same place. And please send me those questions. What do you want me to talk about? Let me know, okay? You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at lshampole, or you can also go to my website, which is lshampole.com, and send me a direct email. All right? Till next time.